This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. And uh, we, Father, we um, are always blessed and encouraged to read your word. And uh, we just pray that your spirit, that spirit of Jesus, the same Jesus that appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, will teach us and reveal to us those things uh, which are necessary for our salvation. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I take that phrase, by the way, uh, from the 39 articles. 39 articles, but how, how is the Bible uh, described in the 39 articles? That it contains everything necessary for salvation. It is not necessarily a history book, although it has history. It's not a diet book. Don't be shocked. It's not a sex manual. <laughs> uh, it's not an invest. For the most part, maybe there, there's an exception. It's not an investment manual. Uh, it contains what is necessary for our uh, for our salvation. Now we just begin to read, and uh, I know that um, we didn't finish last week, so we're going to. Uh, just refresh ourselves with a, with a bit of chapter 9 that we did not finish. And uh, let's start at 9.20, uh, we'll start at 9.19b, uh, and we'll go to 10.3, because there's uh, something that um, uh, overlaps between chapter 9 and chapter 10. We won't deal with the more the weightier, more significant issues of chapter 10. We'll leave that for our teacher next week, which would be Aaron. All right, so I'll start with um, 19b, and then we'll go to Volter. Okay? All right. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Your verse 20, yeah. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the priests? The Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who followed him must have proven that this Jesus is the Christ. Quite some time later, the number of the Jews gathered together and made plans to kill him. But their plight became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in the basket through an opening in the wall. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, 
preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers, sorry, that's your 30, okay. <laughs> when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in peace in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. When it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Judah. <coughs> he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. Kepa said to him, Ananias, Yeshua the Messiah is healing you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lila and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated was Thorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in a room. In this Lila was in high out of Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, Send two men unto him, entering him, delay not to come out unto us. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood, uh, widows. Uh, widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. So it was he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon and Tamar. There was a man. Caesarea named Cornelius, a Roman army officer in what was called the Italian Regiment. The devout man and one who feared God and called his household and gave many alms to Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in the vision an angel of God uh, come in and say to him, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Okay. We can, we, yeah, we can stop there. We can stop after <coughs> memorial offerings. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to um, put um, maybe a little bit of a maybe a different spin <clears throat> on things tonight. Uh, I'd like to just, first of all, look at a couple of the big narrative uh, issues here. And uh, I'd like to just begin, perhaps we can begin by asking the question, what is the, if you had to think of a verse or something outside the book of Acts, that somehow undergirds Acts or informs Acts or 
maybe motivates the whole telling of this story, what verse would that be? Where would we look? Yeah, not within not within the book itself. Okay. Now to give you a clue, right? Mm, no, that's not far off. But you'd have to you'd have to look in Luke, right? Because <laughs> because Luke and Acts is a unit, right? And they have many of the same concerns and uh, emphasize many of the same things. So at least from my uh, opinion, I'd like to um, draw your attention to Luke 24. Uh, In Luke 24, verses 45 and following, he said, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's pretty important because Paul's vision isn't just a vision that we read in chapter 9. The emphasis, is it not, that uh, God is doing this, directing Paul in his mission, according to the scriptures. Further, actually we should even go up a little bit further, in verse 44, Jesus says, this is what I told you that while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, right? That's the three parts of the Hebrew Bible. Yes, we all know the Tanakh, uh, the Torah, or the five books of Moses, the Nevi'im, the prophets, major prophets, minor uh, prophets, and of course, the Ketuvim, the writings, which in this verse is referred to as the Psalms. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the historical books, and one prophet, yes? What, what's that one prophet? That Jews do not believe is actually a full, yeah, Daniel, a full, a full-blown, full-blown prophet. All right, so Luke's one of the, one of the emphasis uh, one of the thrusts of the book of Luke's and the book of Acts is that these things are happening in accordance with the scripture. Um, and so uh, Jesus' death, suffering, and resurrection, and now this commission that they get. Um, he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance... Okay, and forgiveness of sins will be preached uh, in his name to all nations beginning uh, at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, and that could be supplemented, could it not, by... what we read uh, in verse 1, sorry, chapter 1 of Acts, it is uh, the um, disciples want to know about the, the kingdom of Israel. And uh, Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Judea and all Judea and Samaria 
Jerusalem, sorry, and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so here we have not just a geographical pattern, right? But we have uh, this ethnic pattern that first to the Jewish people <clears throat> and then to all the nations of the world. And is it not, and maybe we mentioned this two weeks ago, um, I don't remember, but is it not that the book of Acts is preparing us for this moment? Uh, the moment, the, the turning point of the book of Acts, you might say it's going to be chapter 10 and chapter 15, that the gospel is now going to go to the Gentiles. You think, okay, no big deal. We're so used to this. But it's an incredible, incredible shock that the Gentiles are now going to become a part of the people of God and they're not going to be required to convert to Judaism. We'll come back to this point. Now, how is the book of Acts, if you want to think of it in its big, kind of big, the, the big picture, how is it preparing us for this event? I mean, we've had the, the preaching of the gospel in uh, Jerusalem, yes. We've had the disciples going different places and speaking only to Jews, if you remember this. I think that's in chapter 8. Uh-huh. And then what else? The Samaritans. I mean, the Samaritans are kind of, probably Jesus and his followers. They consider the Samaritans to be Jews, but, uh, you know, they're just, they're barely hanging in there, right? So the gospel has gone from Jerusalem and Judea, going to uh, Samaria. Yeah, you the Ethiopia. Now we have a convert. <coughs> perhaps, and now we're going to have Cornelius. I mean, we're being prepared for this. Uh, first, we're going to have Paul, right? And Paul is going to uh, be called to do what? He's going to be called to suffer, <laughs> yeah, which is not a very, a little bit of a scary verse to read. And he's going to be a witness to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, right? That was the verse that was read last week, and may I remind you of that verse. Because while Paul is certainly uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, he tells us in the book of Romans, he is also, uh, he, he, he is a witness to the Jewish people, okay? Wherever he goes and wherever he gets, wherever he gets that uh, opportunity. And uh, so verse, chapter nine, um, um, where does it say? It says he went to the high priest. Uh, Saul, why do you uh, persecute me? So they took him. Uh, and it says in verse 15, 9, 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer uh, for my name. So, now I don't want to diminish the uh, Paul because Paul is an incredible um, saint, is he not? And I think many of us feel like he's our best friend and we know him really well. But may it, could it not be true that 
as interesting as Paul might be and as interesting as his story might be, that the point of all this, right, is that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, yeah, as much as, as it is about the personality of Paul himself. Yeah. And uh, what makes me say that um, is how um, interestingly similar Paul and Peter are. Yeah, I think I wrote it down. Uh, or I have a chart on it in my That would be, yeah. okay. So sometimes we think, well, Peter, for the Catholics, Paul is for the Protestants, or such nonsense, or, or God used Peter a little bit, but just used Paul in a greater way. But they're very, very similar. Um, so I would like to guess about the, the connections between their ministries. Because I think once we do this, we don't take, we don't totally remove the personality and all this. The personalities are interesting and instructive, but shows that there's a bigger program at work, yeah? So how are they similar? They each came to the conclusion that uh, one does not have to follow the Mosaic law or mm, Well, we'll co maybe we go, we'll come to that in a minute. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really... That's that's a very difficult question. Hold hold on to that. What else? They both have a ministry to the Gentiles. They both had a ministry to the Gentiles. They both. It was hard for them to believe from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, they both confronted music a magician. Yeah. They both Pardon? They both were executed as far as we know. That's probably pretty certain. Both uh, lay hands on people and give, uh, bring the Holy Spirit to people. They both raise a dead pe person back to life. We just read about a dead person being read. Okay. Um, they both have to go to Jerusalem and defend their ministry to the Gentiles. Yeah. They're both imprisoned at a Jewish feast. They both are delivered from prison. Yes. Uh, they both are accused of acting against Moses. <coughs> At least it was in the case of Stephen. Um, they both appoint leaders with prayer and the laying on of hands. They are both, interestingly enough, defended by who? Who comes to their aid and supports them? You wouldn't expect it. Yes, Pharisees. the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, yeah, uh, both saved the church in two, on two occasions. Yeah, they're both, of course, um, certainly they both uh, note that they're guided by the Spirit. And what is it, um, what qualifies you to be an apostle? Maybe this is the most important that you had to encounter what or meet who? Jesus alive. Yeah, Jesus alive, the risen Jesus, yeah? Mm -hmm. To meet the risen Jesus, right? So they both qualify, yeah, to, uh, to be apostles. So they have a lot, of, a lot of similarities, okay? I would, by the way, 
um, suggest that um, this Paul being called to incorporate the Gentiles, let's so um, want to again think of a big picture. And the small picture was is okay, some Gentiles can get saved. Gentiles will be saved from you know the devil from the burning fires of but what what would be what's the bigger purpose of all this of what happens here and why is it so so important think big it's the big story of the bible yeah and what's going to happen with all these ethnic groups pardon every tribe tell your nation yeah I think I think that's a I think it's a very good answer the answer is the answer is that people are worshiping around the throne the goal of mission is worship Okay, the goal of mission is worship, meaning the, the ultimate goal, yes, of uh, King Jesus, of, uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, right, is that people will be standing around the throne, right, from, from Israel, and again, I don't take it literally that there are going to be 12, only 12,000 from each <coughs> tribe, it means that there's going to be uh, people, you know, maybe it's connected with the idea that all Israel will be saved. Yes, okay, meaning from every every tribe except for one. Um, uh, and then from every tribe and tongue, every uh, ethnic group. Yes, they're standing around the throne. They're worshiping. That re- that their redemption, yeah, leads to. Uh, a new humanity, yes, uh, and it of course leads to this worship and uh, when adoration. That's what's so huge about this, yes. That's the mystery of the gospel that Paul will talk about in Ephesians, okay, about how the Gentiles, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, how the Gentiles and together with Jews come in. They're one new humanity, yes, uh, and this one new humanity becomes a place where the Lord lives or the Lord dwells. Now, if you think about it in those terms, I think, and I'm not doing it such good justice, I think it's huge. I think what happens in 9 and 10 <coughs> is absolutely huge. So it's, it's phenomenal, yeah? Okay, so if we had to maybe... Um, go along a little bit and in Acts 9 let's look at the some of the, the leftover bits of the of the story um, I think I spoke a few weeks in, a few weeks ago in church uh, about Peter's calling at the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee after he's restored to Jesus and Paul's calling because both uh, on that Sunday, I think it was the Sunday after Easter, the readings both connected these two stories together. 
And, uh, you know, oftentimes when we think of a calling, do we not? We think of, oh, whoopee, the Lord has called me to, to do something. But in both cases, whether it's Peter by the seaside or Paul here in Damascus, boy, it comes at a high price. It comes at a very, very high price. And maybe we um, uh, should keep in mind uh, the, um, yeah, the suffering that uh, both endured. Now, maybe we are not called to be Peter and Paul or to be martyrs, but I think whatever the Lord calls us to do, certainly, as it was in the case with Jesus, will involve difficulty and hardship. Yeah, and we will be tested. Uh, so, so there's a high, so there's this high price. Now we read, Saul is in Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, in Damascus. He's uh, become a preaching machine. Yes, <laughs> he's uh, he's going to the synagogues, and um, everyone who hears him is astonished. So he's he's obviously not only filled full of the Holy Spirit, but uh, he is um, incredibly, inc- incredibly bright. What would you draw from this? I mean, what's the, what's the lesson? I think the lesson is that God is unpredictable and surprising. On one hand, he chooses fishermen, who some folks say not, weren't very educated. I'm not sure they were dumb, or uh, it may have been they just spoke with a southern accent. And uh, if you know anything about the United States, if you have a southern accent, everybody thinks you're dumb. Um, those in the north, presumably. Yeah, <laughs> those in the north think. Um, but yeah, God, and now here's God. God is using not only uh, fishermen or tax collectors or zealots, but now he's using one of his biggest enemies. Yeah? In Pardon? In yeah. Uh-huh. You shouldn't be surprised. I mean, <clears throat> the Messiah was a carpenter and husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Okay. So, it certainly... Um, it certainly keeps, uh, certainly should keep us from having a, what, writing our theology here in ink, yeah? Having too many expectations, yeah. Yeah. What else would it be a kind of a lesson that we would draw from this? I think the other thing that struck me was you, nobody, after meeting the risen Jesus and being forgiven, who can say, I'm not worthy? I've done too many terrible things, you know, for the Lord. Okay. Certainly, if Paul, the killer, uh, is uh, redeemable, uh, anybody and everybody is redeemable. Okay. Now, of course, oftentimes we doubt. Uh, and it's certainly worth checking people out, but um, it might be uh, a challenge to us sometimes. Yeah, about who who we 
we sometimes think God can't redeem people or God can't redeem a certain situation. So we create giants, yeah, that, uh, and, and we are defeated by these giants. God's not defeated, but uh, we often can, we often can become discouraged and say, this is too big. That was the thing about Caesarea and Cornelius. Of all places in the world for the Holy Spirit to show up in Caesarea, little Rome, full of <clears throat> pagan temples and prostitutes and uh, a city named after the emperor. Gosh, why would God show up in a place like that? It's irredeemable. Yeah. It's like... Uh, the south side of Chicago or something. Okay. So they're all astonished. Uh, uh, and ask, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take, <coughs> take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yeah. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days, the Jews conspired to kill him. Why, why do we think that is? What's the issue? And by the way, it's worth noting that um, we read um, Acts 16 in church the other night. Uh, and trouble for Paul and Silas came from the Gentiles. So it would be a little bit of a myth to think that all the opposition comes from uh, the Jewish people. But why would the Jews care much more than the Gentiles? He was changing the status quo. Yeah. When the Romans were in control, they would upset the it could be, yeah. I don't know 100% the, the right answer for this. I think it was yeah. a Roman. Pardon? Because it was a Roman. Yeah. Um, it could be. But uh, I, the fact that he set out <clears throat> to see these people on the way in prison and even put to death somebody to believe that somebody like that, as vicious and, and unkind as that, against his own people, right. should suddenly change sides. Right. That must have been awesome. That, that's certainly true. Why don't the Gentiles persecute Look, is it not true that... Um, you know, the, uh, if you're a Baptist and you come along and you, you, you appear to be changing Baptist doctrine or Baptist practice, who's going to be upset with you? The Presbyterians? The Kiwanis Club? You know, the, uh, I, I don't know, the, the trade union? No, it's the Baptists, right? It's an internal family argument. And as we all know, family arguments are the most difficult, yes? Uh, and so 
here comes uh, uh, Paul, and uh, it's actually who's going to be the most vociferous against him. Uh, it says that um, Jews who come from Greece, right? He's a Hellenized, um, he, this, this is later um, in verse, uh, this is verse 29 in Jerusalem. So he, Paul is one of them. He's actually a, a Hellenized Jew. And certainly, perhaps many of them are saying, why are you causing us trouble? Um, and so therefore, tempers, you know, are certainly, uh, are certainly in flame. Um, the, the disciples in verse 26, you know, are afraid of him. Uh, but Barnabas, who lives up to his name, you know, what does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement, yeah. Um, he um, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. Okay. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Um, what, by the way, may be taken together with the transformation that Paul has, what, uh, what else would confirm this experience or make this spirit experience a little more believable? Lots of people say they have visions, yeah? Same thing's going to happen in the next chapter. It's not just one person having a vision. Yeah, it's two people, right? It's confirmed with two witnesses, and they 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 match together. You know, you can say I had a vision of my grandmother in a car, and she had a chicken on her lap, and you can say, well, that's funny. Just yesterday, I had a dream about. Uh, a grand, my grandfather in a car, and he was, you know, had a goat in the, you know, and, well, uh, you know, it wasn't something kind of general, it was something, right, uh, very, very specific. And of course, there's a debate as to whether, and I think Nigel touched on this, Neville, sorry, there's a debate as to whether Paul had a conversion or not, right? Was it, was, did he have a conversion, or was it a calling? But there's no question that Ananias has a conversion. I mean, he's converted into being a, from being a skeptic, yeah, into being, you know, a, a, a true believer, yeah. Any other thoughts about, or questions or comments uh, about Saul, his escape from Damascus and his being sent off to Tarsus.
already had followers. Mm. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Disciples um, certainly can be um, people who are serving or, or helping a teacher. Yes. Right. What is a key component of discipleship? Any discipleship is that uh, you would serve the teacher or serve the rabbi. Uh, as a way of uh, being close to that teacher or rabbi and uh, acquiring not only his teaching but also examining uh, their lifestyle. Yeah, so that's interesting that he has disciples in such a uh, short uh, short period of time, although we're not quite sure how much time elapses here, right? And later Paul's going to talk about leaving Damascus and going to Arabia. Yeah, so that's not mentioned here. Um, I think the, what, it was a verse that, after reading this, I don't think I've noticed for years. Maybe I never noticed ever. But that was verse 31. It was a very sweet verse. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Um, and maybe it's encouraged by Paul, uh, the story of Saul. I mean, certainly if, <clears throat> you know, El Chapo came to the Lord and it was real, you know, uh, and there was a true transformation, a true conversion in his case, would that not encourage all of us? Uh, yeah, okay. And if you know who El Chapo is, you know who Chapo is? Yeah, so... Um, Saul knows who he is because, you know, he's big in New Jersey. Um, Yeah, so it's strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, and I like this, and they were living in the fear of the Lord. Yeah? Yeah, they were living in the fear of the Lord. That's very... (laughs) Back in verse 22, it says that he confounded the Jews... Lived, uh, he lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That's, that's English. Does the Greeks say proving? I mean, be nice, wouldn't it? But they have a proof, you know, where anybody comes along that you know, Jesus was the Christ. We can put evidence forward, but, but proving, that's a strong word. I suppose you could prove it from the prophets. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is the word is the, the, the Greek word here it says um, show, teach, knit together, prove. Knit 
Yeah, I think something about all of this, um, maybe that's, is somehow, and maybe we've lost it, is to be, be in command or possession of the big picture of Scripture. Right? And sometimes we can get so uh, into the geography or the history or especially into the grammar. Uh, and you can be so grammatically correct that uh, you can uh, not apply or see the verse uh, again in its, in its larger biblical context. I think that often happens with um, John chapter 6 drinking my blood and eating my flesh. People get very technical about this, but do they not miss uh, something more beautiful and something and something bigger? Well, I'd like to go on, and I want to, don't, if you don't mind, skip the story about uh, the visit to Lud or, or to the Ben-Gurion airport, okay? <laughs> And I'd like to go to um, verse 36, so that in Jaffa there was a disciple. Someone bring out the food. <laughs> Lila, where's the meat and rice? So in Jaffa, there's a disciple, right? So here we have, uh, uh, maybe on occasion it's forgotten that there were female disciples. Jesus had them. Uh, <clears throat> there's a disciple by the name of Tabitha. She was always doing good. She was helping the poor. She became sick and died, okay? Uh, she was not only helping the poor, but she specifically she was making clothes for the poor. So Peter comes, uh, goes from uh, Lydia to from Lud or Lydia Lydia to uh, to Jaffa, and and we then have the story about Cornelius. So the first person raised from the dead, and the first Gentile, right, to receive the gospel, a Jew and, and a Gentile in the same story. What do they both have in common? They help the poor. They help the poor. Okay, they both help the poor. Uh, and is it? This could get me into trouble, but. Is it the case, or could it be the case, that their good deeds merit, right? Mm -hmm. Merit what God has done for them. Okay, I'm not gonna say, for example, that this is only the case, but for example, people get raised from the dead. Jesus raises a, 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 the son, the only son of a widow in name from the dead. She doesn't even ask. Yes. Right. So ultimately, uh, certainly, all of this is a matter of grace. Okay. But how how would you uh, defend uh, this notion that somehow this woman, in her good deeds, she, uh, in her helping the poor, making clothes for for others, how how do you defend or 
what, what, what ground do we have to stand on? And the same would go for Cornelius. Yes? Uh, and you know that uh, the early church, whether it's Cyprian or Augustine or Calvin, John Calvin, they all believe that this woman's good deeds got her healing. Okay? John Calvin, probably Luther too, I don't know. Okay? So the Catholics and the Protestants. Yeah, the Reformers and the Church Fathers. What's the, what's the basis for this? But keep it biblical, all right? Yeshua said that your good works sin before man. Okay. Well, okay. Well, there, there's a connection, good works, yeah. What else? Huh? Hesed, God's more love and... Yeah, God's... God's love. I mean, I want to just make sure that um, it is it is clear. And I've mentioned this before recently in church, but it is clear that if you have a merit and you do a good work, it's God who's given you the ability or even the desire to do that good work. Okay. So uh, if you give money to the poor, who gave you the money in the first place? All right, so God. So, yes, yeah, so it, that, that has to be understood that uh, this is not some kind of simplistic works righteousness. But there is, so what's the basis of all this? She had many people mourning for her and like praying for her. And these days, where there many people pray for somebody to be healed, you know, if someone was well known, they'd lock them with things. And yeah, well, that. The way to pray. Right. <laughs> what about the proverb that says, "He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord." Mm, but the, yes, that's a good proverb. We can come to that in a minute. But what's the, what's another proverb that's even a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Yeah, but of course that's not uh, that that. That's from the New Testament, yeah. No, I think it's Proverbs eleven twenty-five. Is it? What's it? What's the? What's it, What is it again? He who refreshes uh, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself. Mm, that's good. That's okay, sorry. Okay. Um, well, what about this? Let's see if I can. Isaiah God said that the best is when you care about the person. How, how about this for ill-gotten treasures are of no value but righteousness delivers from death Proverbs 10.2 okay can I read you two stories one, one is a bit fanciful but I like it anyway you'll never forget it um, so two stories one is from, they're both from the, the Talmud. Hi. Hi. Is this the women's Bible study? Yeah, yes, this is the Bible study, study. yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Thank you, Okay. Okay, so two stories that will illustrate that we're not uh, 
for, for those in podcast land, we're not uh, calling this scripture. Um, we are instead using this as a way of illustrating what's in the scripture. Um, so, so there was a famous convert to Judaism about the time of St. Paul. His name was King uh, Zatis. He was from a little country that was north of uh, Little Kingdom, north of what is today Baghdad. And um, he says the following after he converts to Judaism. He says, from being a pagan, he says, my father's stored up below and I am storing above. My father's stored in a place which can, uh, can be tampered with but I have stored in a place that cannot be tampered with. My father stored something which produces no fruits, but I have, st but I have stored something which does produce, produce fruits. My father is gathered for this world, but I have gathered for the future world. That's story one. Story two, Rabbi Akiva said and told the following story. Or well, he had a daughter. Uh, and this daughter was um, met one time an astrologer. And the astrologer said to this daughter, on the day you go to the hoopah, uh, a snake will bite you and you will die. Okay? She, and so the daughter was very worried about this. On the day her wedding, uh, on the day of her wedding, uh, she had a pin or ornamental pin uh, and she took it from her hair and she put it in the hole in the wall. Uh, a lot of these houses, they had mud packed on the wall. So she put it in the hole of the wall for safekeeping. And it happened that it entered into the eye of the snake. Now, these um, houses were made of stone and you put mud on the house, but during the winter, snakes would crawl in and hibernate. Okay, in your walls. This was a problem. I know, I'm sorry, Lila, I can't uh, help it. This was a problem in the ancient world, in this country. Okay. Uh, in the morning, she took out the pin. The snake was pulled and came out with it. Her father, Rabbi Akiva, said, what did you do to merit being saved from the snake? She told him, in the evening, a poor person came and knocked on the door and everyone was preoccupied with the feast and nobody heard him. I stood and took a portion that you had given me and gave it to him. Rabbi Akiva said to her, you performed a mitzvah and you were saved in its merit. Rabbi Akiva went out and taught based on this incident that even though it is written, a charity, okay, will save you from death, it does not mean it will save uh, a person only from an unusual death, but from death itself, okay? So charity saves from death. What's another word for charity? Righteousness, righteousness. Jews in this time of Jesus defined charity or almsgiving by the word righteousness. And doesn't Jesus himself do that? Yes? Now you'll never forget that story. No. A snake in the a snake in the wall. Well, that's 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 a good story, isn't it? All right. 
you will tell your girls, okay? All right, so where does Jesus do this? Yes. Ay, ay, ay. This Bible is Matthew, too... Matthew 6. Matthew 6. You want to read it? Be careful not to parade your acts of Zedekiah righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you do your acts of righteousness, don't announce it with trumpets to win people's praise, but the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets. Yes, I tell you, they have had their reward already. But when you, when you do acts of righteousness, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then your acts of righteousness will be in secret, and your Father, who sees what you do in secret, will reward you. Okay, so... <coughs> Uh, so here's a notion or an understanding uh, that maybe certainly doesn't happen all the time, that uh, generosity, righteousness uh, saves you from death. Um, we might spiritualize it and say it saves you from a spiritual death and save you from a second death, um, but it's, uh, this is how the verse uh, is understood. But uh, there's also the understanding that um, giving and giving generously, which Dorcas does, and so does Cornelius. Where does uh, where does your reward go? To the, to God. To the... But where to God? So now quote me your verse from Proverbs. Right. Those so if you're loaning to the Lord, yes, and then it says he will repay you. So how is God gonna take your money? Through the poor, but it's not it's understood. Yes, that you have a heavenly bank account, right? And the heavenly bank account, the this, this story, the concept of the heavenly bank account goes from Proverbs, yes, uh, then enters, it's a, it's a theological theme that develops, that grows, and it's eventually adopted by Jesus because Jesus says in Matthew 6, do you want to find the verse? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus believes in the heavenly bank account, right? Okay, so where does it come from? If you look, um, let's see. Um, so for example, Ben Sirah. Yeah, is, does anyone know Ben Sirah? Ben Sirah is um, a wonderful, interestingly wonderful book. Uh, and again, I'm not entering into the question of the old Protestant Catholic debate, whether this is scripture, because it's found in the Apocrypha. Uh, but it does help us to understand the development, as I said, of these uh, theological ideas, some of which are 
adopted by Jesus, used for his own purposes, and Jesus continues to develop them or to, uh, to expand upon them. Um, ben Sirah, um, 28. This, this is besides the point, but I can't resist it. Okay? He says, he... And, and, and you won't become a Roman Catholic if you read this. Read this. It, it, it might be good for your soul. It says, He who takes vengeance will suffer vengeance from the Lord, and he will firmly establish his sins. Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Ooh, heavy, huh? <laughs> Does a man harbor anger against another? and yet seek for healing from the Lord? Yes. Does he have no mercy towards a man like himself and yet pray for his own sins? Okay. Uh, and it goes on. That's just in 20. But I wanted to read to you 29. That was 28. Uh, but 29 from Ben Sirah or Ecclesiasticus says, Nevertheless, be patient with a man in humble circumstances. And do not make him wait for your alms. Yes, help a poor man for the commandment's sake. And because of his need, do not send him away empty. Lose your silver for the sake of a brother or a friend. And do not let it rust under a stone and be lost. Lay up treasure according to the commandments of the Most High, and it will profit, profit you more than gold. Store up almsgiving in your treasury, and it will rescue you from all affliction. Here's the idea of rescuing, rescuing you from death. More than a mighty shield and more than a heavy spear, it will fight on your behalf against the enemy. Okay? That is 200 years before Jesus. Maybe 150 years before Jesus is Tobit. Yeah? A cute little book. Um, and Tobit says, It is better to pray sincerely and please God by helping the poor than to be rich and dishonest. It is better to give the, to the poor than store up gold. Such generosity will save you from death and will wash away all your sins. Those who give to the poor will live full lives, but those <clears throat> who live a life of sin and, and wickedness are their own worst enemies. Okay, so this is Second Temple period Jewish, you might say, development. And the understanding, yes, uh, again, from Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 19, especially that if you loan to the Lord, you loan to the poor, so if you give to the poor, sorry, you loan to the Lord, and the Lord will repay you, right? You're putting this money in this heavenly bank account. Now, they were not necessarily prosperity preachers, and did not think you would get the money back next week. Okay? They understood from reading the scripture, yes, that you might be blessed in this life. You could be blessed. Your grandchildren, your children or grandchildren could inherit your blessing. As we have, there are many verses which talk about such a thing. Or it might be, and always will be, that uh, in the world to come, Okay, that uh, you'll be able to take from your heavenly bank account, drive around heaven, spend a lot of money, <coughs> right? And the latest, you know, model Volvo or maybe a Lamborghini, I don't know, depending on how much money you put in the account. 
All right? Uh, and again, as I think I've mentioned before, but it's worth mentioning again, people can say this is, there are two objections to this. One, why should I do anything out of self-interest? But I want to remind you, Paul says in Philippians, you know, um, don't only care or worry about yourself. Worry about others and be humble about it. Okay, so caring about your future or caring about your spiritual future especially, uh, there's nothing wrong or sinful about that. Um, and secondly, okay, um, this is indeed an act of faith, right? It's not some kind of work that you're doing. If you're giving money and you're giving sacrificially and you're going to believe the promise that God will repay you somehow, somewhere, at some time, yes, that is putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah, that's saying, okay, I really believe this stuff. And it's also saying to, to the world system and to your friends and to your family and even to yourself, this, I, I, I believe in God's economy and this, is how, and this is how the world should work. The world doesn't work only according to the principles of Wall Street. Yes, it works, there's something much deeper yeah, in the universe, right? And it's God's way of doing stuff. So these are important things. Um, the um, interesting thing, at least in many European languages, yeah, credit, the word credit, where do we, what is it, what is, comes from the word to believe, right? We give God credit, we're giving him, extending him financial credit, we're giving him money, right? When you give someone money, you surely, when you make a loan to someone, you surely expect that person to repay. The world system does. And you, you find, you sign hundreds of forms, you know, if you refuse to pay, the bank's gonna take a chainsaw and cut your right leg off, you know, your, whatever. You, they've checked your finances, they've made sure you've held a job for 13 years and you have a good credit rating and then they'll loan you money. But when we're loaning the Lord money, it's like we're saying, yeah, I really believe. Yeah, I really believe. And so in both cases, okay, in both cases, case of Dorcas, she's the first raised from the dead, and the case of uh, Cornelius, God said, your prayers have come up as a reminder. Like your prayers are coming up and slapping me in the face and saying, look down here, you know, look at Cornelius. Okay, um, you know he's he's a a, a righteous and, and you know a worthy guy, and uh, I don't think it's an accident that in both cases these guys are um, are actually um, well Dorcas and Cornelius. Okay, they're rewarded. Yeah, they're both saved from death. Cornelius saved from the death of a pagan society. Right, and all the paganism and immorality around him, and, and Dorcas is actually raised from you know, a physical death. And I think finally, all this, the, the emphasis of laying up treasures in heaven, right, is certainly 
not only seen here, but also with Jesus. And Jesus talks about the way of the cross and the paradox of uh, following him. Yeah, he mentions this treasures in heaven. And I'll just read the verse and then we'll conclude with that. And it goes as follows. It's from Mark chapter 10. This is the so-called rich young ruler. Jesus said, have you kept the commandments? Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's a beautiful line, isn't it? One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. And the disciples say, it's impossible. Who can do this? And Jesus said, uh, we've got the camel and the needle. Yes, and Jesus wasn't talking about a camel going through a little gate. Yes, and inside a big gate. You ever heard that? It's fake news. <laughs> okay, it's not, not credible. Uh, he's literally talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. He's using humor. Uh, further, Jesus being from Texas was not uh, adverse to speaking in exaggerations, okay? Uh, as a way of getting the point across. Um, so he says, Jesus says, uh, Peter says, look, uh, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says at the end, uh, not at the end of verse 38, note 39, sorry, of Mark 10. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, where the brothers, the mothers, and the sisters were receiving. A community, yeah, a community. Uh, and with them, oh, here, here it comes. With them persecutions, okay? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Okay, so that's a challenge of Jesus, and I think that's, those are two, um, hopefully, uh, something to think about in terms of Dorcas. Doesn't, poor lady doesn't get pre preached on very much. And uh, the part about Cornelius, his prayer life and his giving as being treasures in heaven also do not get mentioned. We should finally close by adding that in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talks about treasures in heaven, he includes fasting and praying as well as um, giving money. But it might be, he mentions giving money first because that might be the hardest thing to do. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. The, the Wikipedia translation. Yeah. All right. Um, is the trust which allows one party to provide money or resources to another, wherein the second party does not reimburse the first party immediately, but promises to repay at a later date. That's very beautiful. Praise the Lord for Wikipedia. <laughs>
And, and as they rely on donations, boy, you should send them ten, ten shekels. Ten shekels. <laughs> yeah, to, to give God credit in Western life, uh, to give to the, you, the word credit is connected to belief, yeah? To have faith yes. and, and to believe. It's connected Belief. Yeah. Also, the word creed, trust. creed, trust. Yes. trust. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Sal, do you mind praying for us, dear brother, before we sure. leave? Oh, yeah, I thank you for these brothers and sisters here. Uh, their love for you, Lord, and the love for Jewish people and the Gentiles here in the land, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we are uh, one new people. And your son, Jesus Messiah, we are a new creation. Yeah, Father God, I pray that we would live the resurrection life that you have called us to live through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, giving us the desire to do your will and the power to do your will, that you would get all the glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen and amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.